All right, folks. Welcome back to the latest Mountain West Wire football podcast. Week 11 recap. We've, uh, Matt, I can't say we fully made it through week 11, but this is the week we're in for college football. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's where we're at. So, mwwire.com if you want to check out your winners or losers column, which is always great on a early Sunday morning. So, if you haven't seen that, go check it out. Bowl projections. Then we'll have uh, some midseason stuff because, Matt, we're nearing midseason. And uh, we're here to talk about games because we had an interesting weekend of games, right? Interesting in more ways than one, yeah. I want to ask you a question because I, I was making – I'm going to spring this on you now. So if you, you say I want more research, you can definitely call for that. Okay. But I was going through like – I emailed you <laughs> just to see if I missed anything, which I did because I called Avery Williams Avery Johnson. I don't know why, but I did in our midseason little um, Google forum sent out to our staff. There's been some good, fun games to watch, but have mm-hmm. there been any really great games we've watched? Because I'm looking through, there's been very few one-score games – a lot of double-digit victories. Has there been any game that's like, this has been the best game so far? Because it's going to put together a best game list. I honestly can't find out or say what the best game is. I mean, it's kind of hard to say. Because, I mean, there have been there have definitely been some competitive games. But mm-hmm. I think there haven't been any, like, I guess what you would call my, the, uh, the instant classics, let's say. Where, you know, a lot of games have been competitive, but they've been very... Um, you know, usually like, you know, team will be within seven, but then they'll win by like 10 to 14 or something like that. I think maybe the closest thing we have to an instant classic was uh, Wyoming and Nevada from the opening weekend mm-hmm. where, you know, they went into yeah. overtime. You know, the Cowboys had their big rally in the second half. To me, other than that, like I, I said, there's been a lot of competitive games, but nothing else said that I would put in that tier, at least immediately. That's why I left off the table, because I thought the what the overtime game, but besides that, I'm like, UNLV San Jose State this weekend was actually closer than the score indicates how it was played mm-hmm. out. Nevada and Mexico was fairly close, but it never seemed in doubt. So that's just my thought. I, I just wonder if I'm out on my own, but I, apparently not. Apparently my intuition was correct about saying there's been some competitive games, some good games, but then result, there hasn't been any... Like, I'm not looking for what happened today in the Cardinals. Kyle Murray throwing a Hail Mary to DeAndre Hopkins. I'm not looking for that. Mm-hmm. But, like, it may be a final drive back and forth to score. Okay, that's all I was wondering about. So, okay. I'm, that's why I'm going to leave it off the list because there's only one game that's been great, I would say, that's been that competitive. But let's go back in the way back machine. Thursday, November 12th. I seems forever ago, Matt. <laughs> Boise State, 52. Colorado State, 21. And as I'm reading, we're talking pre-show, Matt. There was a, this game almost almost did not happen due to uh, COVID COVID stuff because it's always COVID, Matt. Everything's COVID yeah. related. Yeah, BJ, BJ Reigns of the Idaho Press had a really extensive and really kind of comprehensive breakdown of the situation that Boise State was facing going into the game. So for those of you who didn't see it on Twitter, who may not have read the article, they were without 14 players. So, yeah, I mean, you may recall from the week before we talked about it with the BYU game, how they had that long list of players who didn't dress um, because of the same kinds of things. So you know, there were nine players out due to positive tests, five more due to contact tracings, at least four others due to injuries. And that doesn't even include people who were injured during the game, like um, like John Ojuku, the starting left tackle. Mm-hmm. They were starting freshmen at key positions. They had... They were without four interior defensive linemen. They had five altogether in that unit. Three true freshmen. Minimum, right? Freshmen. Was that the minimum yeah, so, so they barely scraped by in a lot of ways. And so naturally they go out and win a blowout in the most <laughs> unexpected way possible, right? 
because that's just what that's just the kind of curveball that 2020 is throwing at us every single week. It's true, and there's also um, potential for the Boise Hawaii game on the road could be tricky because and we'll get to in our preview, but just so people are now because Hawaii's they they've uh, they still have some tight restrictions. It's mm-hmm. either 14 day quarantine, which is not going to happen for any college football team, or a negative test within 72 hours. Yeah, and so that's a three day window where. We're a couple of things that either guys haven't recovered and they don't travel or they don't go, whatever, and I'll see if the game goes on. Or what could be some people speculate, I'm not gonna say for sure, but Boise Air Force game could have caused more COVID issues because Air Force missed last two games. It so, could have, yeah. So, like, I'm not saying it's gonna happen, but that's a possibility due to what Air Force has gone through where Boise players are cleared. They, I don't know if they're gonna test day of, I hope they would do some sort of maybe at least rapid testing. Because three days, a lot of stuff can happen. If you get sick, it could take, what is it, Matt, probably three to five days before you actually show if you're positive or negative, or I guess positive in the most, unlike the case where you not want to happen. So mm-hmm. you, let's say it's three days before, you're cleared to go, you travel, you're getting to Hawaii a bit earlier to do to the time time differences, just kind of get accustomed as much as you can. There's a chance that somebody on, on board, on staff, a pilot or support staff or Somebody at the hotel, you happen to walk by, or it could even be beforehand where the game may not be played and you already traveled there. Or yeah. you or you play the game and more people get infected because of how close you're playing the sport of football. Like there's mm-hmm. a lot of scenarios. So that game, like almost every game's a question, but that game, due to a voice he's already gone through, there could be something to look forward to. We'll get to not look forward to, but to keep your eye on before we get get to that game. But should we uh Matt, did you watch more than a half of this game? Because I kinda didn't. Uh, I was watching off and on. Um, we should mention that, that that Boise State won fifty-two to twenty-one. Oh, we certainly did. Which is, yes. <laughs> and they put it out of they put it out of reach really early too. For it was forty-two to seven at halftime, and you know there's there, there's a lot to talk about with this game, even despite the fact that it was a blowout, just because you know yeah they won this game going away, but in a lot of respects it's it's a, you know when you when you block three kicks. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, and this is stating the obvious, that's not something you're going to be able to rely upon week in and week out. But, you know, Avery Williams, Avery Williams made his kind of opening argument for repeating a special team player of the year. He had two of those blocks. And, you know, it was one of those things where you would have expected, you know, Colorado State, you know, even if the game devolved into maybe a defensive struggle, that they would have an advantage on special teams, just owing to, you know, Ryan Stonehouse's usual ability to flip the field you know they did not get that at all in this game where's um, max protect come on after the first one what are you doing yeah something <laughs> something like that um so you know i don't know where you necessarily want to start talking about this game because i think another thing that really stood out to me was the fact that even despite the personnel losses you have to give a lot of credit to Boise State's defense oh, yes. for, for really putting on the clamps in that first half. Um, because even though the, the the yards per play in that first half was really slim, it was I think it was 4.9 to 5.2 in favor of the Broncos. You know, they forced um, they forced four fumbles in the first half. Is that correct? Um, I, I'll have to look at that. But I'm, that... I'm looking at I'm looking at statbroadcast.com and it's saying that they forced four fumbles. Only one was lost. But yeah, and then you have the two. Because here's the thing: turnovers really quick. I would Boise technically only, or excuse me, only forced uh, one turnover. Mm-hmm. I really give them four because the three block kicks. Come on, 
Like, <laughs> those should count. I don't have fumbles lost. I can double check here. But if you have fumbles lost, that's a negative play. If you recover, weird stuff happens. Like, fumbles, Um, I don't have that broadcast in front of me. But it would seem likely for how well – like, Boise's defense overall, like, they're starting, like like BJ Rain said, like, what, five interior linemen – one mm-hmm. fewer, they couldn't play the game. I believe three were either redshirt or true freshmen, and they forced CSU to go one of fifteen on third downs. Yeah, game and was especially not there. early in the early in the game, and it wasn't like they were gimme situations either. You look at those third down situations in the first half. It was you know third and thirteen, third and seven, third and six, third and eight, third and nine, third yeah. and eight, third. And, it was like there were basically no gimmies for the Rams on third downs all season, or rather all night long mm-hmm. and you know conversely when you compare that to with what the broncos were able to accomplish in that first half you know that gave them a massive advantage i'm trying to find the go, well, they, well they were nine they were, they were nine of 18 50 that's pretty good yeah and that first half especially colorado state was 0 for 8 on third downs boise state by by comparison was seven of nine that's the game right there. And I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that, you know, when they forced Colorado State into more obvious passing situations, Patrick O'Brien just didn't have an answer for him. He was only 9 of 20. And, you know, as you might expect, a lot of those third down situations were passing downs. And he only had the one. Actually, he, it wasn't even him. They no. had already switched to Todd Centail by the time they converted to third down in the second half. And the only touchdown so, as well. Yeah, so... Yeah, I think that yeah, that's a credit to, I guess I would say good coaching, but also maybe the inefficiencies in, in whatever Colorado State is trying to accomplish on um, on offense. Because you know, one thing that is that stuck out to me again that is maybe the flip side of what we saw a week ago against Wyoming is the fact that Dante Wright and Trey McBride are getting the lion's share of the passing, mm-hmm. uh, the targets through three or four weeks now. And you, know, you kind of have to wonder is, is how long is that going to be effective for? Because it worked against Wyoming, but it definitely did not against Boise State. You know, I think at some point they're going to need Nate Craig Myers and EJ Scott or Ty McCullough, other guys to step up. You know, uh, Craig Myers and Scott only combined for two catches on seven targets. And, and, and Wright and McBride combined for 18. So it seemed like regardless of whomever, whomever was under center, they were really trying to force the ball to their best playmakers, which, you know, to some degree, I can't blame them, but they've got to find a way to get other people in the offense involved. Otherwise, you know, whatever hopes they have are kind of bouncing their way back into the championship game race is going to be you know, it's going to be done sooner rather than later. You're hilarious to you think the Rams are going to bounce back in the championship game race. Come on. I mean, they could. I mean, <laughs> anything's possible. That, like I said, there are a lot of things about this game that are <laughs> severe aberrations, but You're there's right. other things that could be corrected. Like, I like, I don't think it's likely that they're going to go one of 15 most weeks on third downs again. So it's like how much they can rectify some of these, you know, some of these maybe cracks in the foundation of whatever they're trying to do. Because like I said, on a per play basis throughout the game, they weren't that far off from what Boise State was doing. Like over the entire game, they actually outgained Boise State on a per play basis. And maybe some of that had to do with the fact that the offense uh, on Boise State's side wasn't necessarily pushing as hard after halftime and the running game is like we mentioned Twitter, or at least you or I are probably both. They, they have to have George Shalani. That's a bigger reason why they lost to BYU last week. 
and the running game this week, like clear Shakir was your leading rusher and half of it came on one play. Like yeah. they can't have Van Buren 13 for 20. Yeah, the two uh, inside the red zone 10 five yard line touchdown runs. Yeah, two short touchdowns. Short, just shorts right at the goal line essentially. That's a bigger reason for why if they're going to be better and like they they obviously played fine. They you get breaks like three blocks. This is just coaching, but it's a little bit luck too involved. Going mm-hmm. like you said, the Rams are this is arguably the worst game the Rams will play all year. Patrick O'Brien's a good quarterback was under fifty percent. Running game wasn't was okay. It was better than Boise's, but not ideal. Like they only had seventy six yards from the leading rusher. A couple big mm-hmm. four twenty ten uh, yard plays. A couple twenty yard plays on the ground. But for when looking at Boise State, so like their running game was why was a, is a reason for concern if George Lani isn't going to play more games down the road or if he's I is it still it's not COVID his was the injury from two weeks ago right. I believe so, yeah. Not the BYU game, but the Air Force game. So mm-hmm. get him back, that's good. But you're right with the Rams. Like, they're not this bad, but, like, it, it's a combination of everything that cumulative, like, just kind of was like, oh, like, crap. Everything that went wrong could go wrong yeah. in this game. So they're not that bad. And he said, Boise, like, that's my only concern with this game is the running game wasn't great. Like, Shakir had about 100, what, 199 total yards. Great. C.T. Thomas, 100 plus yards. Defense played great. Like Ryan Wimpy had the 14 tackles, three TFLs. Like they mm-hmm. had good guys out. Like the and give credit to the young guys, like you mentioned, like that came in and had to just seal it up. But their their key players, like Shane Irwin, had a couple sacks. Like they they're players that needed to step up on defense, stepped up in a big way. Yes. And yeah, it's um. Well, let's see. Like this is if you're a Ram fan listening, like don't be too concerned. This is I don't want to say fluky because even had they if they had they had not the block like those blocks or score for blocks. It's still more than likely. Still a little bit of Boise win. It just wouldn't have been, to be honest, an embarrassing loss. It could have been twenty-one thirty-seven. Still a two-touchdown victory for Boise State, but it would have looked a lot closer when Boise having to a take the ball down the field and use clock, and then it just it just it's just a weird stuff happened. That's all the game was. So like the Rams had UNLV next week. We'll talk about the Rebels later, but the Rebels they're own four. They're not that watching. More closely than San Jose State game we'll get to again later. They look better than I thought they would. But so that mm-hmm. game, I wouldn't consider that game 100% give me. Still favor the Rams, as I think are a 10 or 11 point favorite right now. But that's not a game they can just, oh, we're going to beat the Rebels because it's UNLV. Rams mm-hmm. have some work to do because going one for 15 on third down is fluky, but it also takes effort to be that bad leading up to third and long. Yeah, I mean, you gotta, you've got to move the ball on first down sometime. Exactly. Anything else we need to add to this particular game? Uh, not that I can think of. What about, hold on, really quick. I have one thing that Hank Bachmar came back. I put a thing mm-hmm. on Twitter and it blew up because uh, former BYU putter Johnny Linehan tweeted, tweeted about it. I'm like, okay. All I said, and I never said the final score would be different. I just said, had Hank Bachmar played, what would have happened? Like, who, who, people, boys would have, like, basically, it would have been great to see what would have happened. I never mm-hmm. said anywhere there they'd win. I replied like four people. No, I just said maybe it'd have been a bit closer, a bit more fun. I still don't think they would have won. But but again, my point goes back to I brought that up. Maybe you have your comments on that. But I still feel George Claudio would have been, have been a big better player to have last weekend, this weekend going forward. Yeah, I mean to your point though, in this game, Bachmeyer came back and, and while he didn't necessarily light the world on fire, they didn't really need him to. And, you know, he was definitely one of those guys who was a little hit or miss once the game was definitely in, in hand. But, you know, even though he was only 16 and 28, 202 yards and a touchdown, you know, he completed 11 of his first 16 passes. Started you know, over 32, one of them, so. 
yeah, had had his one touchdown in the first half, had, you know, I think one one or two drops maybe. But all in all, he had exactly the kind of performance that I think you would have wanted him to have just coming back after a couple of weeks off. Yeah. I just thought I'd put it out there and be fans, of course. Good, good on you, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, whatever. I just said it could have been maybe slightly different. I never said they'd win, but yeah, whatever. It happens. All right, before we move on, we need to talk about um, this game covered the line, right, Matt? I'm pretty sure 20-something points covered the uh, the difference. <laughs> pretty Are you talking sure. about Boise? Yeah, Boise. Boise, Boise was a 14-point favorite. So clearly so they, they covered, covered pretty clearly. easily. This is my stumbling way to talk about my bookie here because that's what we're doing right now for a moment. Uh, okay. Talk about them because this is a smooth transition. So you have college football. So if you think Boise State, you're good to go. Our buddy Josh Fredlund does a betting thing every week. He's like, I don't care, really. I just want the points to go my way if I'm putting money on the like, on the game a few bucks. Mm-hmm. Since it's legal for him in Colorado. So what we got here, we got obviously college football, NFL. Um, we discussed what Fight Island is. I still don't know what it is, but Fight Island was the thing. But if you go to my book, you get some skin of the game. You get awesome deals. You get some free bets all season long. Um, Thanksgiving games. Hey, Utah State UNLV is on Thanksgiving Day, Matt. What a better way to avoid your family, put four bucks on the game, and hopefully cross fingers you get it right for that contest. I mean, we're, we're not getting a Hawaii Bowl this year, so you got to make your holiday viewing count. Exactly. So whether you're a first-time customer, been playing my bookie forever, there's always a million things to do. Prop bets, which are awesome. Clearly game lines, money lines, contest parlay. There is a guy who parlay – Needed to victory. We mentioned De- De- DeAndre Hopkins play, Matt, from Kyle Murray. Mm-hmm. Did, you, did you see that Hail Mary catch? I did. Back in the end zone. A guy's parlay depended on the on the uh, Cardinals winning. So he got, like, I think it's a 17 parlay. I saw it on Twitter. So you can have some fun action and hope you don't get the heart attack for the sweat in those games out. But if you're over at my bookie, you can. here's the big point. Use our code overtime. 50% deposit. So if you put 200 bucks in, You'll get an extra 100 bucks to get going. It's like an early Christmas present, Matt. You can bet for free and maybe make some good money. So mm-hmm. use our code overtime to get that 50% match. It's winning season at my bookies, so go check them out. And maybe we should get a few bucks in there and get some, win some cash because uh, who doesn't need extra Christmas money, right, Matt? Uh, I could, I definitely could. I can always. All right, so next game, Thursday all the way to Saturday. Was the first game, um, we had two afternoon games. It was the um, was it the Utah State game in your first Yes, it was. So do we need to mention the the bad news or it could be good news depending who you are? Um, Utah State does no no longer have a quarterback Jason Shelley on the roster. Mm-hmm. Well, a couple of things happened with that. We our buddy was it Logan who tweeted us in our DMs about him stripping off all of his uh, Utah State stuff. Uh, yes. So there were some. If you watch the game, there's some kind of back and forth, just kind of verbal stuff on the sideline, him not being too happy. But earlier sometime on Sunday, he removed all his Twitter stuff referencing Utah State. It's now back. We have screenshots of it on our post. We have wrote a quick article about it. So he's no longer on the team. And interim head coach Frank Miley says, or Miley says it's a violation of team rules. Leave it at that. However, family gets involved on Twitter says, that's not true. So Matt, when I ask what's going on, what do they say? Well, it's not true. <laughs> <laughs> and so he's no longer on the team, but like I kind of have kid like it's a bad thing, good thing. It's clearly whatever he did. Hopefully, it's not that big a deal. He was struggling, obviously at quarterback. Utah State was not doing good with him under center, and it wasn't just him. Like that family member said, there's a lot of issues. Like you put on Twitter, like the uh, the play explosiveness where they had a ton of big plays, but that's all they had. If it wasn't a big play, it's like a garbage play. For like a yard of play or something. It was so so hit or miss. So hit or miss. Yeah, they be I mean 
this is where when you look at like team stats or even the per play stats in this game, it was very, very deceptive. Because uh, you know, you look at just your total offense, you would see that they had 343 uh, total yards mm-hmm. per play basis, 5.8. Yeah, I mean that looks fine, but then you you take a little bit of a closer look and you realize, okay, well, 86 of that came on Jalen Warren's touchdown run, untouched touchdown um, run, amazing, so good. Yeah, and then you know their only other big scoring play was the kickoff return that ensued, you know, later in the first quarter, Shavon Scarborough took it back uh, 94 yards. Mm-hmm. But, you know, beyond that, um, you know, Devonta Henry Cole's longest run was 24 yards. Devin Tompkins had a couple of big catches. 44 yards. So then like, yeah. So once you start stripping away, basically the, the one big play that three or four different, I, I put it out there, like after three quarters, they, they were averaging, I think, six yards per play or something like that. But when you took out the big plays and just looked at everything else, they were averaging fewer than one yard per play. Fewer than one, under it, one, maybe, wait, under one yard per play? When you stripped out the wow. big plays after the first three quarters, yes. <sighs> it's, uh... Like they, they ran, they ran, I think it was like 35 plays and like, yeah, like 90% of their production or something like that came in those five plays. Can I get a kudos to finally saying Jalen Warren's good? Like people that never believed me, he's good. Yeah, it, it also helps. Sorry to be the bearer of bad news, Matt, but the uh, Fresno State rush defense—they uh, have some work to do. They've got work to do. Yeah, do. I mean they did force a Jalen Warren fumble, which was one of those five plays that I brought up on. Yeah, Twitter on it was a thirty-plus yard play where he was on route to going into a Fresno territory and just got got beat. Yeah, which led to a touchdown. Like had that game. That was the uh, let's see, yeah, like had that play happen? Like Utah State, here's how the game went down. Utah State was up thirteen to seven. There was the mm-hmm. interception. They quickly returned for a touchdown. They went back to back TDs, couple punts. Had they like, I'm not saying that would happen, but that ball was about was midfield, just about. Mm-hmm. Like, had Utah State turned that into points? Let's just say, for example, it's a touchdown. They could have been up twenty to seven. I don't know if the outcome would have been different, but they would have had a lot more confidence heading that into that game. But Fresno turns around four plays later. Goes up one point, never looks back. Like that—that that was a real trade. Yeah, it in the it game. wasn't just that they. It wasn't just there was four plays. You know, Warren got them down to the four yard line, so it was four plays and ninety six. Oh, yards I didn't realize that. I must, ninety seconds. Oh, I looked at that wrong. It was a, it was at the forty nine when he started. I knew it was deep in their territory. So that's like a back breaking back breaking series. You go fourteen point swing, and then you get a field goal later on. Fresno goes for two more touchdowns after going up, and when it's twenty eight to sixteen, the game was basically over. Like the second half, that was a. If you hung around for the second half, you were not treated well until late in the game for another touchdown. It was a, yeah, it got a little sluggish on both sides in the second half. Which you know maybe that's a credit to, to Utah State's defense, where you know for as good as Jake Hayner looked, um, you know what did he have? He had like four hundred something yards. You're about like to that. say you're going to hold on, hold on. You're, you're about to twenty two yards. You're going to say something wild, but I'm going to agree with you. But go, sorry, continue for me stepping over that. No, no problem. Four four touchdowns, one interception. You know, the 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 one interception was definitely a bad choice by him. And, oh, yeah. and you know, we saw we've seen glimpses of that in the past, and he had mostly ironed that out over the past few weeks. But you know, most of that four hundred and twenty two yards came in the first half. And you know, maybe it's a credit to the Aggies' defense that they were more or less able to to keep the clamps on Fresno State after halftime mm-hmm. for the most part. They were, yeah. The like their defense. Does show signs like in the second half, you're right. Like, look how many three announcements they had. Like, they didn't get a touchdown until the very end of the game. And then 
Utah State's offense couldn't do anything either. And so it's also mm-hmm. Fresno State credit a bit where Jalen Warren, all his big plays were in the first half. Like, yeah. I don't know what he did in the second half. I think he had what it's 86 right long was the first half, and the other one was at 37. So he had what 115 of those in the first half, I think, just over 100 yards. So he was Something held like that, he was yeah. held in check. So like the defense, both defenses got better. But, like Jason Shelley finally passed a hundred yard mark. He was at fifty something heading into the fourth quarter. So I was like, oh boy, he's got mm-hmm. to do do really good. And he had he, three he was three of ten for like fifty two yes, yards going into the fourth quarter. He's averaging one oh four for the year, which is oh boy. Um but yeah, a defense did play well. But one guy I need to bring up, man, um Jalen Cropper Cropper, ten catches, two oh two, three TDs. But recall what you put on Twitter and the broadcast, first two hundred receivers since you've heard of this guy, guys, Devontae Adams. Not too bad. And, and Cropper is a guy that a lot of Fresno State fans have been very enthusiastic about since they dra- uh, since they recruited him a couple of years ago. And you know, you may recall that he broke out a couple of long touchdown runs last year against New Mexico State, but he wasn't featured quite as much as I think a lot of people might have hoped that he would have been in his freshman year. And, you know, if this is his springboard into a bigger role in the offense, then, you know, defenses are going to have to take notice of the, of the fact that he could get behind the secondary in a way that few other receivers in the conference can. 20 yards a catch. Man, 20 yards a catch. Amazing. Yeah, and it, and it really took pressure off of everybody else in that passing game. Like, you know, Josh Kelly also had a 71-yard touchdown catch. Uh, you know, Ronnie Rivers was effective, you know, running the football and as a pass catcher. He had 132 yards on the ground. He's so good. Had 50, 51 more through six catches in the air, you know, and, and it allowed kind of everybody else to to kind of move, move down the totem pole, I guess, a little bit and, and allow Jake Hayner to not have to focus on trying to get the ball to one guy to be able to make a play. Because now all of a sudden you look everywhere around this offense there's three or four guys who can make a play. Like even without uh, Juan Rodriguez and, and Raymond Powell's at tight end, Rory Hansen stepped up and had three catches for 25 yards. So it's a, I think it's exactly the kind of balanced and explosive offense that the Bulldogs were expecting to get. The bigger question was, is the defense going to do its part to hold up their end of the bargain? And, you know, last week and this week, you know, they're definitely trending in the right direction. I, like like you said, there's still work to be done with, uh, you know, defending the run, preventing those big explosive plays. But, you know, they racked up, what, eight, nine TFLs as a team, something like that. Yeah. And they sacked they sacked Shelley, I think, four or five times. They're number one in the Mountain West in, in terms of, like, sacks the raw total right now which is I don't think anybody would have seen that coming at the midway point of the year. And losing your best and, defender preseason. Yeah. And so I think there's there's a lot of, of positives, even if there's still a little work to be done. And you know now all of a sudden, going into next week's game, they host San Jose State. They've got a chance to vault themselves up into one of those top two spots in the race to the championship game. That game next Saturday afternoon, early evening, will be one of the games of the week to watch. Yes. So... Um, I had something to bring up here. Maybe I spaced. Oh, um, no, that's, that's gonna be a midseason question. So let's move on. You got Fresno three and one. Oh no, here's what we do need to bring up. Sorry, no, it's not a midseason. Utah State zero and four. They have a quick turnaround going to, or they play well. I mean, I'm not sure if it's at Laramie for Fort Bridges rifle, but I believe it is. Shelley's not on the team. There are reports, reports slash rumors. I don't know. We get to it, but uh, Andrew Peasley might not be available due to COVID. Mm-hmm. They might have a quarterback. Going up against a, even a Wyoming's 
record could be better. Their defense is still good. Utah State might be starting the quarterback who has played zero career FBS football. No snap. It's not ideal. You're being nice by saying not ideal. So we'll see how that goes. And with the offensive line not being great, that's going to be improved. Oh, we'll and we, did, we didn't even mention that Utah State's got their own COVID issues. I forget who mentioned it on Twitter, but apparently Frank Miley broke up. Or oh, yeah, yeah. OCDC. They were without both of their coordinators because of COVID. That's right. My coworker Sam Farnsworth KSL noted that on TV that OC and DC was not able to play. Or not, excuse me, coach. crazy, doesn't yeah. it? Like, who was going to play? He's for them to, yeah. So, yeah, no, he did mention that, that they were losing, lost both those as a post-game press conference. That is wild to not have your OC or DC and your interim head coach, interim coach. Yeah, I mean, because we mentioned it with Boise State, how it, it really puts the Broncos in kind of a perilous position as far as kind of their overall standing. And, and I think as a result, it's hard to make a lot of sweeping uh, conclusions about teams when the season's over just because you know COVID is going to affect teams unevenly it already has to this point and you know it, but for a team like Utah State which is already struggling to try and find any traction especially on the opposite side of the ball you know being without their coordinator with an interim coach with uh, a brand new quarterback under center I was looking it up earlier this afternoon just in terms of how rough things have been on on offense, because I put out the SP Plus rankings uh, earlier this morning, and uh, on offense especially, like they're a bottom five unit, and they're already in the conversation as being maybe the worst offense this conference has ever seen. Ever. Just in terms of like total offense, they're like they're they're averaging fewer than four yards a carry which is a half yard fewer than UNLV, give or take. Um, in terms of scoring offense, they're only what they're only scoring like 11 points a game. Not, not many. We haven't, we haven't seen that kind of futility since like 2010, 2011 New Mexico. Right now, they're, you're right, 11.3 per game. I'm going through CFP stats real quick. New Mexico in 2011 averaged for a full season 12 points a game. Yeah. And, and the year before that, I think, was the only other time that a team has been under four yards per play on, on offense like, in Mountain West history. So, I mean, this is this is rough. Like, this is getting to the point. Man, 2013, Mountain West, last play scoring was 24.5 by Air Force. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that was last. Oh, But, th- yeah, like, this is starting to be Utah State, Brett Guy Utah State. Big West. No, no, no. This is this is worse than that. That's what I'm saying. No, I, I'm just I'm trying to put context. Like the level of where the, how bad they are. Like they're in that category of where they're in those eras. They were near the bottom of all of FBS when they're an independent Sun Belt Big West nomadic team. Like that's my my point being. You're right. Like if you want to see how bad it is, like go back to there. And your point is it's worse than that. Yeah. I I don't. We wish you luck, Aggies fans. I know it's hard, but um. We wish you well, right? Is that all we can do? Basketball, basketball season is two weeks away. Sam Merrill going to be drafted on NBA draft is coming up too, so look look forward to that. They received, got that to look forward they to. They did. They got a couple first-place votes for the Mountain West. I think they were – I know San Diego State was number one. I should know this, but either Boise or, or Utah State were 2-3. So you, you got that to look forward to. Justin Bean, come on. Nemus Kata, you guys got this. All right, next Mountain West game. Is this the uh, game where the heck is on my TV game? Help me find this game, guys. It, Hawaii, San Diego State on the mainland in uh, not San Diego County, but up the street in uh, Carson? 
Mm-hmm. I mean, if, if you were a Hawaii fan trying to find this game, maybe uh, <laughs> if you didn't find it, maybe it was for the best. You didn't waste $60 uh, Aztecs, or whatever it Yeah, cost. Aztecs ended up winning this one 34 to 10. Greg Bell is really good at football. Running back for San Diego State. Mm-hmm. He, like, this game, like, watching, like, this game was not even close. Just, yes, the score is 24-point spread, so duh, it's not close. But Greg Bell, those back-to-back long touchdown runs basically crushed Hawaii's moxie or anything going their way. Like, yeah. they, this makes me wonder, like, how good is San Jose State down the road? Like, they beat San Diego State. But in this game, like, a couple punts, but then it was clearly the two two big plays. They scored three plays, 14 points, and that was ball game. Their, all their touchdowns were, in the first half, were three plays or fewer. Like, every time they scored, it was a quick score. Even their field goal was only four plays when they got the fumble recovery. I mean, to me, it was about the defense. It was all about the defense. Just in terms of, like, you know, per play basis, they held the Warriors under four yards per play. And when they were running away with things in the first half, it was 3.3 yards per play. And a lot of that is a credit to the guys up front because that that defensive line, you know, guys like Cam Thomas, Kishon Banks, those guys, I mean, for lack of a better term, they beat the hell out of Hawaii's offensive line. Caden McDonald as well, don't forget Which him. I did not see coming. Not that bad. You know, they, seven sacks, yeah. 11 tackles for loss. They made, I, I don't recall how many were designed runs, but uh, Shavon Cordero, 20 rush carry attempts. Clearly. I didn't, I didn't even realize they also forced five fumbles. What? Yeah. Oh, man. And this also includes a game where Hawaii also picked off Carson Baker twice, and he was mm-hmm. four thirteen for thirty yards. Yeah, they didn't even need him. That was the amazing <laughs> part. Like, but you know, to me, it was the fact that you know Hawaii early on in the first half they they had some success running the ball here and there. Calvin you know, Turner like, is a player to watch out for. Receiver doing quite well. Yeah, I mean, he was there. He was their leading rusher. He had thirty nine. He only had thirty nine yards though, and, and twenty three of that came on one run. Yeah. And and Chevon Cordero for maybe by design to some degree, if not necessarily to the entire degree that they wanted to, like he, if you look at the stat line, it was 20, 20 attempts, 20 yards. But some of that is the fact that they didn't adjust for sack yardage or anything. Yeah. Um, San San Diego state racked up 64 yards in sack yardage. (laughs) So if you adjust, it was actually 13 for 84, which is a little better. But again, you know, the fact that they held Turner and day day Hunter and miles Reed basically to like a yard and a half per carry is a massive victory for that defensive front. Oh, it definitely is like because because they forced Cordero to be on his feet and to to move off of his spot too way much. more than I think they will. He was on the run basically every other play. Yeah, and you can't and, have, have him do that. He wants designed runs, but it's too many, and then pressure wise, it just adds up. And 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 that I think does a lot to explain why he ended up under fifty percent through the air. He was only seventeen of thirty five, two hundred and nine yards, one touchdown, one interception. Like I said, it was just the the big guys up front did their job. Like that was like the best defensive performance I've seen from them all season long to this point. And so, kind of to your point, if if they could get at least a little bit of a better performance from the passing game, you know, because we saw that was kind of sort of what betrayed them, and when they lost to San Jose State a week ago, and there's a chance that down the stretch they're going to need it again, because. You know, as good a game as Bell and as as Jordan Bird had, 
chances are they aren't going to average over eight yards of carry every week from here on out. No. <laughs> so, you know, I guess if there's a, if there's a red flag, it's still that quarterback position because, you know, I like the talent in the receiving core. We just didn't really get a chance to see it on Saturday afternoon. Cause they, again, they didn't need it. And Baker wasn't necessarily that accurate anyway, but that is to me kind of the one big thing that their fortunes are going to hinge upon because if the running game gets slowed down like it did a week ago, they're in trouble. They're, well, it's, I wouldn't say they're going to be in trouble. Well, they, no, but, that's but true. They gonna, lost. But they're going to need an answer. They lost because of it, so they are in trouble, and that doesn't work well for San Jose State. I mean, Baker had some plays last week, is what I'm saying overall. Mm-hmm. He didn't this week, and so he, he's going to need to prove that he can make plays again. I think some place down the line. I have a question for you. We need yeah. to, we need to make like a maybe some more commentary question, but Jordan Bird, we need to talk about him. Okay. Um does he this game he had seven carries, sixty one yards, fifty one yard long, <laughs> one touchdown. <laughs> he's had a seventy three yard run. He's had a thirty two yard run. Is this a thing where we they need to give him more carries or just live in, like, give him like four carries and that's it and he'll bust off like at least forty five yards? Or sixty yards, I, I mean, should say. Like, what do you I mean, do with him? It's hard to say. It's hard to say because it's not like he was the only one busting off big runs. You know, they actually brought in Lucas Johnson late to replace Baker at quarterback. He ripped off a twenty-four yard run. Chance Bell had a twenty-seven yard run. Mm-hmm. Kagan Williams had a thirteen yard run. So the entire committee, I think, has shown the capacity to get to the second level to really you know, make hay. And I think that that's a credit not only to the runners in the backfield, but to the offensive line, which I think, you know, we gave them a lot of flack last year for the fact that they weren't really opening up running lanes. Um, you know, after, after the first month mission accomplished for those guys up front, you know, we should probably be paying more attention to those guys. Cause I think we knew that William Dunkel was going to be on the upswing, but maybe we haven't talked about the guys around him, you know, Kyle Spalding, Alama Uluave, Zach Thomas, Jacob Capra. Those guys have been putting in work too. Okay. Well, well then let me, here's my point for Jordan Bird. Give him five carries and that's it. That's all he needs to win. Cause Utah state 73 yard touchdown run. I'm just saying, like, I mean, I, th- I think the I think the point <laughs> is that the Aztecs feel good no matter who's toting the ball at this they, point. They do. It's just something he's been a guy who, like, I'm kind of being jokey here, but like, he doesn't need carry. He doesn't need volume to make to have big plays. There are other guys yeah. doing it, but he seems to be the most consistent guy with the biggest plays. I know mm-hmm. Greg Bell had the two yesterday on Saturday, but like over the season, for the amount of carries per big play. It's only a diminishing return once he gets that fifty yard run. It's like, all right, you're done for the day. Just sit down. <laughs> Essentially, mm-hmm. he's a guy where it's, it is everybody. But I just happen to notice, like, he had a few, few carries today, a fifty yard run, and a huge run in the opener, the Utah State one. Just have kidding, but like, they're right. Their depth is amazing, which we kind of we not kind of did mention the preseason depth chart, which mentioned like three of these guys at fullback, when clearly none of them are fullback. Mm-hmm. And so it's like it's amazing. Like, credit the offensive line, like you said. Like this team, like I've said it for however long we've been doing this. If they have a, an, not even like an above, slightly above average quarterback, like maybe a touch better than Christian Chapman, this team would like be be unstoppable. They just don't have consistent and good quarterback play week to week or year to year to be a team where they're a top fifteen team or a top. They've been top twenty, but like to be a really really good team. If they could just get a decent quarterback, slightly above average quarterback, like I've said it, if they were to do what Sha- basically what Shavon Cordero did, 
maybe slightly better, but 17 for 35, 209, a TD and a pick, because Baker did have two picks. If they had something in that range where he gets about just over 200 yards and 60% completion rate, that would be enough to have them where teams have to respect pass and the run, and the running is so good. That's like the one missing piece for the past five years they haven't had to be elite. Chapman was good, but a guy slightly better than Chapman is what they really need, and it's just been missing yeah. for a long time. They need a guy who can make plays on passing downs yeah. because I, I, if you want to get real granular for a moment, you know, one other potential red flag is the fact they were only four or 14 on third downs mm-hmm. and which was, again, slightly better than what they allowed to Wyoming or excuse me, Hawaii. You know, the Warriors were only three of 17. But if, I, if I'm looking at one thing in particular, it's the fact they were 0 for 6 on third and long. So on those and, and that was something they struggled with a week ago, too. And so there's a big opportunity for them coming up this week, too. We talked about it a minute ago with Fresno State. But San Diego State's getting the hosts. Uh, no, actually, they don't get to host. They get to travel to Reno next week for Dayton, Nevada. Yeah. So they've, they've got a chance to bounce back into the, into the race and be a major player down the stretch, too. But, you know, there's still work to be done in that passing game. Definitely. All right, so let's move on to the next game here. It is Nevada 27. Fending off a pesky New Mexico, 20 points, 27 to 20, for a game where, like, I don't, like, within the Mountain West, outside of Utah State, pending Air Force, we don't really know a ton, there aren't really any just god-awful bad teams in the conference. Because no, of, no, New Mexico's not a gimme, I think we've established that much. Correct, they had to go with Trey Hall, because Tavaki Tuioti was out for the game of concussion, he did fine, almost 200 yards, had a pick. They ran. They had a touchdown reception from Carroll in that the nice uh, th- throwback play, play mm-hmm. from Bryson Carroll to go up seven zero. Like so, they had to pull out the tricks. They had Deontay kick directly after, which is amazing. Where didn't Carroll picked it up as well? I believe so. They got to not a touchdown, unfortunately, but a field goal. But for them to win a game, that's what they kind of got to do at this play. Like, Danny Gonzalez doesn't care. He wants to get a victory. He doesn't want to pull punches. He's tired of losing, which we mentioned before. Doesn't want any moral victories. But they've been like. They being pesky and competitive. You don't. Those are crappy words to describe their team because they don't want to hear it. But to hold Nevada and be within touchdown, that's a pretty good result against a team where you would think, in historical terms, at least past couple of years, what New Mexico's done defensively, Nevada you would think would have rolled off forty points in this game, and Carson Strong would have had closer to five hundred yards and three hundred. Yeah, I mean, the, in, throughout the entire game, they were really putting pressure on the Wolfpack, especially like the offense wasn't quite as efficient as I think they wanted to be because you know for the game I think they were only seven of 17 on third downs they were and they they showed good process by gambling on fourth downs um but they, they were 0 for 2 in those situations too but you know they ran more plays than Nevada did which I don't think anybody would have expected you know they ran 77 plays and it's a credit to the Wolfpack defense that they were only able to average 4.6 yards per play um and, and to basically hold them to a draw when it came to being disruptive. I think both teams had two sacks. Both teams had one turnover. Um, and maybe the, the, the maybe the Lobos got a little bit lucky because if I'm seeing this correctly here, and I, they maybe stat broadcast is miscounting, Nevada had four fumbles in this game too. There's a lot of fumbles. And, <laughs> and, but they didn't lose any of them. And so there's a, like a little bit of luck involved, a little bit of skill involved. 
And and even down to their last drive, New Mexico wasn't that far away from being able to take the game to overtime. You know, Trey Hall threw kind of a what looked at first kind of a high risk pass to Jordan Cress, and he just couldn't haul yeah. it in. And so it's like it's those little things where, you know, if one or two small things on the stat sheet go a little bit differently. You know, we talked about it a minute ago with uh, with San Diego State as far as being their red flag. But that was something that uh, New Mexico really struggled with, too, was those same third and long situations. They were 0 for 5 when it, when it came to third downs with nine or more yards to go. And a lot of those situations came down the stretch. They just you know, weren't able to get those big plays when they needed it to either, you know, keep the Wolfpack defense on the field to, you know, create that turnover, things like that. So, I mean, they had a chance. It's just things didn't necessarily break their way. Yeah, like in the second half, they had that one of the, the turnover on downs. They punted their yeah. first drive. They weren't like, okay, they only had, t- they had 13 points. Second half, they didn't score until the fourth quarter with that, with that one mm-hmm. touchdown. And so that was when they're down by two scores. So they were, Hanging around here and there, but like the offense kind of sputtered a bit here and there, and it's a problem. And I guess one of the biggest plays, if you retroactively looking at that interception in the first half that led to a 33-yard touchdown pass to Romeo Dobbs, was that the one yeah. where basically just ran through the end zone and kept going like Forrest Gump? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> I watched that play. I mean, I'm like, how is he in bounds? I don't get this. I'm watching. I'm like, okay, I guess he is. That was wild, I mean, it, weird it, it, looking. It, I guess. It, it, and maybe to some, maybe to some extent, you know that that Carson Strong to Romeo Dobbs connection was inevitable. Obviously, three scores. Because it, yeah, three scores, 172 yards, and and you know on 10 targets. So obviously they were trying to feature him, and you know that is maybe just a you know Nevada trying to exploit New Mexico's kind of Achilles heel, because. The Lobos did, I would I would say they did a lot of good work up front. You know, they forced nine tackles for loss. Joey Noble up front had two sacks. So they were, I, I guess you could say they maybe battled the Nevada running game to a draw. Like Toa Tau only had 15 carries for 62 yards. But as soon as, you know, Nevada was able to get its passing game going a little bit, New Mexico just didn't have enough in the tank on offense to be able to answer consistently. Yeah, and it like it doesn't matter if they had their what quarterback because I don't know if it would have mattered. Trey Hall did fine. He ran the ball enough. Probably would have wanted to get a better uh, not sixteen twenty seven. But he got pushed around mm-hmm. with the two sacks. But like overall, like you don't want to hear moral victories from Mexico. It's like we don't want to hear that. And they yeah. playing against the my number one team. I put in the power rankings. This is a good showing when you only lose by a touchdown. And they were clearly not out of it by any stretch of the means. Like they did have to pull a few trick things here, like the pass back the early um, onside kick but mm-hmm. a couple of things here and there like stopping Romeo Dobbs like he is literally one of the top five receivers in college football he is that good like nobody's stopping him at all in this conference or anybody else mm-hmm. in play and so Lobos they're we all thought like it'd be like a year zero thing like, oh they're gonna be terrible not good that's not the case they're hanging around with teams they will get a victory eventually they do have Utah State on Thanksgiving Day they have Air Force next week I could maybe see them getting two victories. Those those next two games could be vict- both could be victories for the Lobos. Exactly. So, next game, what do we got here? Uh, last game, actually. Oh, last game. Oh, last game. San Jose State. San, San Jose State thirty four, UNLV seventeen. This game could have been wildly different. Yes. There was a pass right near the end of the half, first half, obviously. Was it Aaron Lewis, I believe? Is that the UNLV second defender? I think so. 
slipped or whatever, had the clear break on the pass, got the out route, would have have walked it in for a touchdown pass Nick Starkle. Would have tied the game at the half. They would UNLV got the ball in the second half. Just can't hold on to it. Not even an interception, just an incomplete pass, a pass breakup official in stat book. San Jose State goes down, scores a touchdown, and proceeds to be victorious in the, in the, in the matchup, winning 34-17. That mm-hmm. game, like, this game was close throughout. Like, watching it, what it was, when I was watching it, because I didn't get to watch it again until Sunday morning. It, first half, San Jose State got the early lead, and then it kind of went back and forth after that. They got the touchdown, the field goal. But the second half, what it looked like after that touchdown, was it um, Charles Williams, I think, ran it in there, that four-yard t- TD mm-hmm. run? They just kind of ran out of gas. That's how I put it in my recap. Like, they three plays, six plays, three plays, punt, end the game. They had a few mm-hmm. possessions to get close. They allowed a touchdown the second play after, but they just – it's weird to say they don't have the depth when San Jose State does, about last of them, but – the Rebels didn't have the steam to keep going to get the, to get the win or keep it a little bit closer. Like they brought in Justin Rogers, who has first career TD pass at the FBS level. He took over Max Gilliam, who got benched. We'd like to see more for Charles Williams, but like overall, like look at the you mentioned too, like all the freshmen that came up. It's like get the new guys out there, let them play. Like Kyle Williams had the 100 yard game touchdown as well. Like get these guys mm-hmm. the ball, and like they were they were not outplayed that much by San Jose State really in this game. No, I mean, and the other thing is, too, which I think is a little more frustrating if you're a Rebels fan, is they killed themselves with penalties in that first half, too. How many pass interferences did they get for not turning your head around? <laughs> uh, I, I know on that last touchdown drive that San Jose State in the first half, they had two in a row. It was, you know, third and four on their own 25. Noel Williams got caught. And then on first and goal, you know, Trey Walker mm-hmm. tried to check to catch it again. Bryce Williams got, or Bryce Jackson, excuse me, got popped. They had a late hit as well, the quarterback or somebody. Uh, like a no, that play. was on the punt return. Oh, that's punt return. Oh, okay. I already recall. I was it, trying to space it, but yeah, dumb penalties. Then, but, but it also affected them on offense too. You know, it was third and third and two at midfield, about midway through the second quarter. Charles Williams is about to convert a third down to to you know, keep a drive moving and Justice Oluwasian gets called for holding. And then they, they end up, you know, throwing an incomplete pass on third and 12. They end up having to punt. So, I mean, like you said, they were right there and things could have unfolded a lot differently if they had been able to keep the pressure on. It could have, but it just, they didn't have the guys. Like also one thing to look at, like pressure, like just besides the dumb penalties. Oh, I want to bring up this. I brought up watching. Do you remember the, if you, I don't know if, if you watched the entire game or how close you're watching it, but there was a would have been pass interference. The linebacker was not even watching the ball, and the announcer was like, "Oh, he's so tricky. He's just watching the guy's hands to go up to put his arm out." I was watching that play. The guy was just running, and the ball happened to hit him in the arm. Like I watched like four <laughs> times. I'm like, "Oh, he, you're talking about the the play down the field to." Uh... I think it was Isaiah Hamilton, if I'm not mistaken. I don't recall. Linebackers down there. I mean, it was either it was either Isaiah Hamilton or Isaiah Holiness. I forget who. But you're talking about uh, Malachi Sulu. Yeah, with he had the arm thing on. He has the armband. Yeah. Over. Like he's running. Like you can tell some guys they don't turn around because you'll see the hands go up or the eyes get big. He's like, oh look at mm-hmm. that play. He went up. I watched like they showed like four different angles. I'm like, no, he was just running to catch up, and his right arm happened to get exactly where the ball was. Like the receiver yeah. didn't stretch out to get the ball, didn't make any indication it was coming to them as they should. But I thought that was funny. But I'm like, oh man, guys, watch what you're doing. But like this game, like the best thing I liked about this game was San Jose State's rush defense or getting the pressure. 
Like, Williams only had those 55 yards, and he's really good. Seven sacks. When's the last time they had seven sacks? 11 TFLs. Like, this San Jose State front defense that got to the quarterback, like, Caden Hall, or Caden Hall, excuse me, really good. Four TFLs, three sacks. They had, what, three guys of more than two two TFLs on the game? It's like this mm-hmm. rush defense, pass pressure defense, whatever you want to call it, they got to the quarterback, they stopped Charles Williams, and like had Williams had like been able to run the ball late in the game and he was productive moving the ball, they would have been much better because bringing in Justin Rogers, who was 12-18 at QB, like that would have helped them so much more by opening things up. But they were just attacking, and you got to give credit to everybody for Brett Brennan and Spartans defense for just attacking, and because normally Charles Williams gets his yards and he didn't get in this game. He... Only had a long of 12, had one touchdown run, and was they only had 70 yards overall and whatever sack yards I include, so maybe 100 rushing really. But that many mm-hmm. sacks in TFLs, like they were getting after the quarterback and running back all day long. So do you think that UNLV has a controversy at quarterback on their hands again? Uh, I don't know. We're over, we're over halfway through the season essentially, right? Four games in, they have four left. Justin Rogers looks looked better than last time he played. I was about to say they gave him a lot more run, and you know, of the five big plays that UNLV had through the air, um, Rogers had four of them. And you mentioned Kyle Williams coming out with nine nine catches for 110 yards and a score. Mm-hmm. He wasn't the only freshman that they were leaning upon. You know, Zyle Griffin had three catches, 68 yards, including a big 53 yard catch in the first half. So, I mean, I think. You know, you may call it running out of steam. I think it's you know, growing pains to some extent where, you know, they may have some production, but it may come in fits and starts. You know, like Jacoby Winman, for instance, very quietly having a pretty good year. You know, he had a sack in this game. I think it was his third straight game with at least one sack. And, you know, if they can solve things on the back end, you know, they could they could cause headaches down the stretch. You know, Starkle had, an, had a decent game. 17 of 28, 274 yards, two touchdowns. But, you know, they did force him into the one interception from Trey Kane. They forced the overthrow. So, I mean, there's there's pieces there. And I think that they're definitely trending in the right direction. But, you know, as we talked about with New Mexico, as we talked about with other teams, pretty much every team in the conference still has some work to do. And UNLV is no exception. All right. So, you know what you should do? UNLV is 0-4, right? Mm-hmm. They are not doing quite as well as they thought. Here's what you do. This is something my buddy brought up, like work and everything. Like, well, let's just treat this as a glorified steroid spring football season. Go with the young guys, like you mentioned, all the freshmen. Go with Justin Rogers. Like, what, like honestly, what are you playing for? UNLV is not going to a bowl game, partly because they're not a great team this year, partly because there's not enough bowl games because bowl games are getting redacted. And they will take all the tie-ins they have from the SEC, Pac-12, Big Ten. So they're not going bowling. So go with the young guys. And I don't know if, like, I doubt Charles Williams is going to come back for another year because everybody can. He'll go off the NFL, get drafted, be fine doing that career. But go with the young guys. Justin Rogers, sophomore, has multiple years of eligibility left. Max Gilliam does not. Go with every young guy you have to get them as much playing time as possible. And And just make next year year one, essentially, for these teams that aren't playing well. That's what they should do. I mean, I'm totally with you. And I think that even the people in the Las Vegas media have, have started bringing that up a little bit more. I think Mike Grimala over at the Las Vegas Sun had a column about that. He did. Uh, to, you know, kind of to that point, just 
finding playing time for the freshman linebackers in particular, um, because, you know, in their most recent recruiting class, and I think we may have mentioned this when we did the previews a month or two ago, you know, they brought in their highest rated defensive recruit ever in the 2020 class and a guy named Brennan Scott. Is he playing So, much? you know, he hasn't played at all this That's year. That's the so point. Far. Get him in the game. What are they waiting for? <laughs> And so I think, you know, there, there, there are definitely still things to play for, but maybe it is an extended evaluation period because you're already seeing, you know, young guys on, on both sides of the ball being able to, to kind of get thrown in the fire, if you will. Yeah, like we, we talked about the fact that I think they're starting, they're still starting a pair of, of freshman corners. You know, now they're starting a pair of freshman receivers. I think Justin Rogers is technically a sophomore, is he not? Correct. Yeah, he already graduated to it. Oh no, he did not graduate. But yeah, technically he could play three more years if he wanted to. Two more after this year. Yeah. So I mean, I think that there's definitely plenty of opportunity for them to keep going in that direction if they want to. They should, right? I don't see any team, not just them, but team like Utah State team. Like Utah State's different because interim coach, and that'll be just a weird situation. But if your team's like New Mexico, go with the young guys. You know what I mean, like, why? What's the harm in Guys who are – it's like this isn't a new thing either. Like if you have a quarterback race, like you should probably – if it's close, go with the young guys going to be here for multiple years. Like Yeah, and, we, and we've talked about it with teams that have become more successful. Like I think Wyoming is the best example of, of a program where if they've got a young guy that they like a lot, they'll throw him in there and see what happens. And more often than not, especially on the defensive side of the ball, you know, they've tended to – it's tended to work out well for them. And so I could definitely see – UNLV doing something similar in the second half of the year. Yeah, let me ask you a quick question. That's our game wrap-ups here. Should the Mountain West get a team in, in the top 25 polls already? <sighs> Tulsa got ranked after beating SMU. That's I don't understand that because Tulsa's got two losses, right? No, they're 4-1. and one. Oh, They're 4-1? and one? Yes. Who, uh, <sighs> Who are they beat? Is that what you're getting at? I they, mean, they beat SMU, but how good is SMU really? Is they're that, ranked. I mean, SMU is like a top. Uh, I mean, really though. Here's what they have in their schedule: they played Oklahoma State close, sixteen to seven loss. Mm-hmm. Their Arkansas State games not going to be made up. Their games have been postponed, like Cincinnati's postponed, so that would give us a better indication if they're good or not. But they beat UCF, who at the time was eleven, which seems like just a, a fine win, not great, but not bad. It's okay. They beat a bad USF team. They barely beat ECU. Thirty-four, thirty, and then uh, they, like what? I, I mean, I guess I don't know. I'm not going to fight it too hard. It's a weird year. What about Coastal Carolina? Marshall tied for fifteenth. Got any hot takes on them? Deshaun? No, I mean, I think they've both been playing really well, and they both deserve it. Okay, all right. Just curious. Well, okay, I just wondering because there's, what, there's a lot. There's a lot of good. Uh, we know good we know. five teams out there this year. I mean, we know. No, well, know. A lot of other people out there don't know. I'm just saying, like Nevada, I feel they should be ranked. Their offense, I know they didn't play great versus New Mexico, 127-20. But, like, outside of Florida, like, honestly, the um, what, Kyle, the Kyle to Kyle connection there, like, what other team has, like, that great? I know there's probably others, but I'm just off spouting off. But, like, that passing connection, Dobbs, Dobbs to, um, not Dobbs to, but, you know what I mean, Carson Strong to Romeo. It's like, mm-hmm. nobody's close to that. Like, that is probably one of the top five in the country. Like, Blitnikoff, get on board here, folks, right? Yeah. Like, what do they need to do? I don't know. Like, they play – is it San Diego State this week they play? Who? Um, Nevada? Yes. Like, would that get – Nevada ranked? Did they beat the Aztecs? Don't yeah, get, probably. 
just for reference, Nevada's only getting three points in the AP poll. Maybe. I mean, I don't, it's really hard to say. I mean, I don't know what voters are thinking sometimes, Do you care? to be honest. Uh, it's a weird year. It's really hard to, to get too much of a fuss. Our buddy Hunter's going to write an article. He's like, I am, he's like, I am pissed about this. These I don't under, I see, here's what I don't understand. Like, USC's won two games by the skin of their teeth and they're 20th in the country. It's USC. Come on. Brand. Yeah. Also, see, 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 I can still get mad about things like that. Let's put it that way. You know what's even more ridiculous? Not that Indiana's ranked number nine because you are what you are what your ranking is, essentially. Did you see what the line is on Ohio State, Indiana? I did not. I filled out the picks. I pull them up right now as we're talking here, but I, I do the picks for uh, CFN with uh, Pete Futak. I, and I'm going through, there's like a ton of games this week. I'm like, okay, whatever. This game here. But this game, I'm trying to pull up right now. I believe it's like a four-touchdown favorite. Ohio, a top-10 team is an underdog by four touchdowns, I believe, if I'm looking at this properly. Like, when does that... It's pretty good, though. I know, but I understand. Um, Indiana, Indiana, I understand what you're saying. No. That's my point. When is the last time a team in the top-10 has been underdog by over like three or four touchdowns? That's just, a good question. I'm, I'm just, sure somebody has that information out there. Even Utah versus Alabama was not like a three or four touchdown fave difference in the Sugar Bowl in 09. Mm-hmm. So I just want to bring that up. So we'll be back next week. Uh, are we pondering, attempting a bonus show this week possibly? Maybe. Maybe. Mid-season stuff. We'll have mid-season stuff, which is weird for four games in, right? Yeah. So, right. <laughs> so we'll see. I think we might do – maybe we'll just make a bonus segment in like a recap show or something. All right, we'll do something like that. So we'll get some more mid-season stuff going on. But check us out, mwr.com, Twitter, all that great stuff. Um, Instagram, where I decided to post them out, which is rare. But go check us out there. Um, power rankings, bowl projections, your winners and losers column. Any final words before we uh, say goodbye to the fine people? I think we're good. All right, until then, we'll see you later this week.